Hello, everybody. Terrence Lehu here with another episode of the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, where we talk philosophy from the farm. My guest today is an old young friend, David Fell from Abiding Acres, where he raises sheep, chickens, and my favorite, beef. This isn't any average beef, though. It's purebred Devons, a heritage breed ideal for the grass-based system at Abiding Acres. Today, we'll be discussing what got David into farming, why they raise sheep, what's special about the Red Devon, and why it's better than the average Angus steer. Whether you're a meat eater or not, you won't want to miss this episode with David Fell. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Terrence. It's good to be here. I'm excited. This is going to be a great conversation. But before we get started here, can you share with the audience a little bit about your farm? Sure. With my family, we own and operate Abiding Acres Farm in southeast Wisconsin. We we raise grass-fed beef, uh, red Devon beef specifically, grass-fed lamb, pastured pork, poultry. Um, those are our main focus. We also do some goats on the side. Now, I think that's important to ask this before I ask my next question, but how old were you when you started farming? I was about 10 years old. Okay, now that does lead directly to my next question. What made you decide at 10 years old to get involved in farming? Because, I mean, most parents are, like, concerned when they're 23-year-olds or 30-year-olds are saying, hey, mom, dad, I think I want to start farming. Right, so it's always been a passion of mine ever since I was real young, but it was originally my dad's vision. He, um, I was born in, you know, in town, not in the city, but my dad does not come from a farming background, and he wanted us to learn the skills that have been lost through the generations, uh, how to raise our own food. He wanted us to know where our food came from. So that's originally what started it, and then I just kind of developed an interest from that and came across Joel Salton and read all of his books. That's kind of where I got my interest, specifically in the sustainable agriculture movement. And, you know, it's just been building it from there. We started with chickens when I was about 10 or 11 and have been adding ever since. Wow. It it's wonderful to hear how much those books have affected people. I, there are just so many wonderful stories like yours where they read Joel Salton's books and they had the opportunity. It gave them the knowledge that they needed to move forward. Right. Which was your favorite out of curiosity? Um, they were all really good and it's hard to pick a favorite, but my top two would be the first one I read, which was You Can Farm. That was just very, you know, practical, helpful information from for someone who had, doesn't, didn't come from a farming background. It was very helpful for me just to, you know, learn how things work, how the, how the polyface model works, and I was able to learn a lot from that. But then my other favorite book was his um, Everything I Want to Do is Illegal, all of his stories you know just stories (laughs) from the farm so that's i I enjoyed reading that i think he's been quoted as saying once that that's like his uh that's like his memoir confession book that's like his favorite of all of them 
I'm a, it is. 90% yeah. certain that's his favorite one, but yeah. So getting mm-hmm. back to the farm itself, you raise red Devons. Now, when most people think of a cow that's red, they just think of a cow that's red. Uh, what What's an actual picture of what a red Devon looks like? Can you paint us a word picture? Sure. So a red Devon, they, I guess a little bit of history on the red Devon first is they, they are the first purebred breed of cattle um, in the United States. They came over in 1623. They were raised by George Washington, was one of the famous early breeders of Red Devon cattle. And so a Red Devon cow is basically they're a dark, ruby red color. They have a, um, a white white tail or white switch on their tail. And uh you know, a lighter colored nose, but the rest of them is all, for the most part, is all red. They're smaller animals. They're not as big as your typical black Angus, and they're, um, you know, they're just very, they're very pretty cows to look at, and, um, you know, what we're looking for in our uh, Devon cow is a lot of them are nice and wide, beefy animals, and they're very efficient on grass. They've got a lot of capacity to con- convert grass to beef. I think people don't realize most of the time, I, I mean, people spend hours trying to pick out the right picture frame to frame a portrait mm-hmm. of their Aunt Nana, but they don't realize that really, even though we are raising some of these animals for eventual processing, we still want them to look nice. I mean, there's just something about a good-looking cow that's aesthetically oh, yeah. pleasing. Yes, very true. It's a good-looking cow on a nice, um, you know, in a nice background of belly-deep grass. You know, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. No, with the mist slowly rising up, oh, just perfect. An artist could paint that. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned it briefly, but what are some of the main reasons you raise this variety over, say, a black Angus? Because I assume Anguses are easier to get a hold of than a heritage breed. Sure, they're a lot easier to get a hold of. Um, we've been all over the country picking out our breeding animals. And it's, you know, Angus are available locally. But there's several reasons that we decided to go with Red Devons originally. Um, one of the main reasons was their docility. They are much more docile, have very... Um, very easy to work with and that was especially important for us since I'm the oldest of eight siblings and you know with younger siblings around the farm we didn't want anyone you know we didn't want anyone getting hurt so Mm -hmm. they're very docile they're very very good with people and then they're very efficient on grass they're good at converting grass to gourmet quality beef so those were our those are our main two reasons. Now, I'm really curious about the sheep here. What made you decide to raise sheep? Uh, I mean, did you like testing biblical analogies? I, I'm just, I'm really curious here because that's not what most people expect, at least in our modern American culture, for farmers to be raising. Sure. Yeah, we kind of just started it. Um, I don't really know why we originally bought our first sheep i think it was just we wanted to wanted to try it i always like trying new things and we bought hair sheep 
So they do not produce a wool coat. They produce hair coat that they shed every year, so we don't have to shear them. They're strictly for meat. And the hair sheep, their meat tastes a little bit different. It doesn't have the strong mutton taste to it. So we actually, we really like lamb. That's um, why we continue to raise them. We really like the meat. And we haven't had a huge market for the meat as of, you know, currently, but we've had a better market for our breeding breeding use. They've We've had a lot of demand for, you know, for breeding stock. So that, that's been, that's been good. And we eat a lot of the meat. So. Hey, and that's the main part of farming, isn't it? Is at least you could feed yourself. And I will give you this. I, I've seen your lambs before and I think that lambs are on the top of the cuteness pyramid. Like all baby animals are going to be cute, but lambs, they're number one. I would have to agree. They are very cute. They're, um, we always have we always have people that want to come by and see the lambs when we're lambing. They want to come hold them and get pictures with them, or just you know just see them. They're so cute, and everybody likes them. You know who doesn't like a little lamb? That's right. I mean, Mary had a little lamb, and its hair was white as snow. Now, getting back to the cows, what's the difference between grass-fed beef versus what most people could find at their local grocery store? Because I think we hear a lot about grass-fed beef, USDA, grass-fed choice, and all that. But, like, what are some of the real differences? So, some of the real differences are, well, first of all, I mean, the animal is, the meat, what's, what's in the meat is determined by what the animal's fed. So, when an animal's raised just on grass and pasture, they, um, they're higher in lot of the vitamins and minerals that they get from the diverse diet compared to you know just a grain just a grain um so they're higher in you know vitamin like vitamin b vitamin um vitamin a selenium zinc other essential vitamins and minerals they're higher the conventional beef still has some of that but it's not as high and it also has a healthy omega-3, omega-6 ratio and a significantly higher levels of CLA, which is, a, you know, some studies have shown that's a cancer preventative. It's, um, you know, it's good for overall heart health and um, it doesn't turn, into, doesn't turn into body fat. So it's, um, those are some of the things that are in the meat now there's a lot of things that aren't in the meat which are just as important so a lot of conventional beef will have levels of antibiotics hormones and other uh, chemicals and drugs from the from their diet so we all of our beef is naturally raised we do not use any antibiotics um, growth hormones don't feed any um, you know we don't use drugs so the animals themselves are a lot healthier because they're eating what they were designed to eat compared to grain. So the animals in a feedlot, they're fed so much grain, it actually, um, their liver can't handle it. And if they're fed on the high levels of grain for too long, it will actually kill them. So, you know, I've always thought that really, it's not healthy for the animal. 
And if the animal is not healthy, it really can't be healthy for us to eat either. No. I mean, people talk about animal rights all the time, and yet we do these feedlot situations where it would be the equivalent of tying a whole bunch of... I mean, obviously, animals are animals, people are people, but it would be like trying to feed us a ice cream diet all the time and an unhealthy ice cream at that and then expect us not to get sick. It, it, right. it, it doesn't work that way. Right. It doesn't work. If this is your first, fifth, sixth, or twelfth helping of the show, we aren't going to tell you to stop like Aunt Mildred during dessert. Instead, we want to send you our top episodes in what we call the grocery bag because they're about the food you eat and how it's grown. Knowledge that you can take straight to the kitchen. Go to intellectualagrarian.com forward slash bag. Once again, that's intellectualagrarian.com forward slash bag to get the grocery bag sent directly to your inbox or click on the link below. There we've got great episodes about farm-to-table dining, organic grains, and so much more. So be sure to go to that link and get the grocery bag for knowledge that you can take straight to the kitchen. Now, back to the show. Now this is a fun question because I just really enjoy food. I think that's half the reason I started this podcast was just so I could talk about food. But what is your favorite cut of meat? Now that's a really, really hard question. I don't have a favorite cut of meat. I like a lot of a lot of different cuts. Um, probably, I like roasts. Roasts are usually good. My mom likes to cook them in the crock pot. Um, you know, with meat and potato, you know, meat and potatoes, carrots. That's probably my favorite. But I like all the different cuts if it comes from a, you know, from a good animal. Now, I am curious about this, but what's your favorite cut from the lamb or sheep? Lamb? Uh, my favorite cut would probably be leg. Okay. Like a lamb. I've only had lamb once or twice, but it's one of those meats that I really should be trying to eat more often just because I've had it once or twice and it tastes good each time. So, eh, why not? I'll have to stop by the farm sure. sometime. Anytime. Now, what's been your favorite farm experience so far? I mean, you've been doing this for, how old are you now? I'm 18. 18. So you've been doing this for eight years, which kudos to you. Most farmers that are getting into this have not been in it for eight years so far. So hats off. But what's been your favorite farm experience in that eight years? Favorite farm experience. I enjoy all of it or most of it. I mean, obviously, there's some things that... Um, you know, you have to do that you don't, you don't enjoy doing, but I, for the most part, I, I mean, I enjoy taking care of livestock. I like, I've always had a passion for animals. I like the breeding and the genetic side of things. I, I, um, I like going to, probably my favorite is our, we have a national Red Devon show and sale every year that I, we're always a part of. And that's always fun. We get to go meet other cattle breeders, see lots of other cattle, see what other people in the industry are doing. That's probably my favorite. I'm shocked your favorite part isn't chasing after cows when they get out the fence. 
That doesn't happen very often. Remember, we got the, the docile cattle. Oh, that's right. You have the docile cattle. I wish that we had those growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just had a conversation with a friend the other day. Uh, he was late to work because his he went to water the cows. It's during winter. And all of a sudden, he looks out to drop off the hay bale, and there are no cows. He's like, oh, I better call in. It's going to be a while. <laughs> yep. Fortunately, we've got uh, good fences and good cattle, so we use, that's, we've never had any major issues. Always a nice thing. Great. Now, what does sustainability mean to you, David? This is a question that I'm going to start asking more to my guests because I think it's really interesting to see different people's answers. Right. So sustainability has, uh, there's a couple different ways you can look at it. I mean, the, the farm as a business, um, the farm as an industry is really not sustainable. The conventional farming industry with all the chemical inputs, government subsidies, um, and a lot of farmers are still losing money. So, I mean, economically, it has to be sustainable. Uh, and it has to be sustainable to the environment. I mean, we can't be mining our soils to produce food. Um, you know, it's got to be sustainable in a way that, so it has to be, for example, for the cattle, they have to be raised, um, when we, we graze our cattle, so they're eating all grass, they're not, it's not taking a ton of diesel fuel and, um, other metal equipment and chemicals to produce their feed. It's all, it, it just, it grows from, from the soil and then their manure it goes back into the soil. So it's a completely, um, it's sustainable that way, I guess. Um, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our soils have been farmed conventionally for hundreds of years so we do have to bring in minerals that have been lost through that but other than that i mean we it's more of a you know more of a closed system mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it is it's a closed system it, i heard once i can't remember who it was i'd like to say it was an organic farmer i knew he said some made some comment about if you're just harvesting hay off the same piece of ground without having livestock and cattle eating it and then pooping on it mm-hmm. you're just tearing out all of the nutrition from the soil over and over again. And I think that was an interesting point because it's really easy for us to look at row crops and go, oh, they're just harvesting all of the nutrition out of it. But we forget that sometimes even hay, they do that. Right. Right. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. As we wrap up here, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you or anything you'd like to share with the audience? Sure, a couple of things I'd like to share with the audience. Um, we have our a, a farm website. Um, people can find it at www.abidingacresfarm.com. Um, learn more about us. Uh, learn more about our products. Figure out how to you know learn how to purchase some of our delicious products. Um, we also encourage people to sign up for our email list which can be done through the website. We send out emails with updates on, on what's available on the farm, what's going on on the farm. Um, those, those are the main, 
many ways people can get in contact with us. There's also our, all of our contact information is on our website. So we, I'm always, always interested in talking to people about what we do and anybody who wants to stop out at the farm is welcome to contact us and set up a time to do so. Awesome. Well, all of that information will be linked in the show notes. And one quick thing I have to say about your guys' website, I've seen it and I've seen a lot of farms' websites and yours is really good, uh, much better than the average farm. So people definitely go take a look at it. Thank you. Yeah, and we're actually going to be working on updating the website here in the next couple months. So it should get even better. Awesome. Well, thanks again, David. Uh, Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Terrence. Big thanks to David for being on the show today. You can learn more about him and his farm by going to the Abiding Acres website, all of which will be linked in the show notes. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. As always, please rate and review on whatever listening medium you use. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to keep in contact with all of our great episodes. Once again, this has been Terrence Slayhew and the Intellectual Agrarian reminding you to keep farming the dream.